Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Thank you. Good to have you along here this afternoon. Back after a couple of weeks off. Nice to be on the air. I'm here at the home studio uh, still. Uh, but Skyler and Cam Poitras, who we'll say hi to in a moment, and my next guest, Global News Weather Specialist Mike Conkin, all of them at 201 Portage, the new home of CJOB, up there on the 30th floor. Our next guest is here, Susan Wenzel, relationship expert and certified sex therapist. Susan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Did I say your last name correct? That's one of the things I was trying to talk with Cam about. Is it Wenzel or Wenzel? Uh, Wenzel. Wenzel. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to make, I like to try and get that right so that, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get it wrong. I, there's nothing worse than getting somebody's name wrong. And I do that anyhow on a regular basis. So I try and get it as <laughs> close to perfect as I can. Um, you're, uh, as I said, a relationship expert and a certified sex therapist. First of all, a story we were talking about earlier, there's this new poll out and, and polls are funny, but it's, it's a good, you know, point to start a conversation. And uh, more than one in ten people, according to this poll, they talked to a thousand people in this poll. More than one in ten consider their significant other eating at McDonald's without them to be as bad as cheating. Do you hear stuff like that when you're when you're talking to couples that are that are having troubles? Is it sometimes silly stuff like, or maybe it's not silly? I don't know. You tell me. Now I think no. I, I, it's so true that there's so many people do interpret in a very different ways what cheating is to them and they do interpret differently and i can see how some people might feel might think that is cheating and that could be because of other factors for example are we we trying to save money and uh, we have a budget and you are trying to to go to mcdonald often so you are not being trustful trustworthy or maybe it's because they're trying to to be healthy together, and the other person is not keeping their end. So I would be curious to know, but it's very interesting, um, yeah, talking about it. So I'm, I'm very interested interested to talk with you about it. Well, and that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's fine if you have a rule like that, but mm-hmm. that needs to be discussed, right? I mean, you, you, yeah. and that's part of dating and being engaged and everything else, right? It's it's figuring out the other person, what's important to them, what doesn't matter to them, and then respecting the things that are of importance to them, right? Very true, um, because we need to, like, there's this, um, uh, she's a therapist in the U.S. and a researcher, and she studies, uh, uh, her name is Dr. Fisher, she studies people in a long-term relationship, romantic relationship. And one thing she says is the people that are happy tend to have what is called positive positive illusion is always gravitating towards your partner being on the right side than the wrong side. So, and and that idea of letting the little things slide away, you know, choosing your battle and not fighting. If McDonald's is really not a big deal, it's not the battle that you want to be fighting about because it would create uh, room for other important things to fight about. So, so I can see the idea of why am I even, um, uh, why am I, uh, why are we fighting about this? Uh, because we do want to create room for autonomy for people. We want people in the relationship to have some sense of freedom to be themselves. And we really don't want to be picking uh, little fights about uh, things in the relationship. 
you're moving our conversation along nicely because that's something else I want to get to, how COVID-19, how this pandemic has impacted couples, whatever the relationship. I, I saw one story, and I don't have it in front of me, and I apologize. I lost track of it, but uh, I was reading it this morning online, and it was saying that um, divorce rates are spiking, and they expect that once the courts open up wide open again, that mm-hmm. they'll, there will be even a larger spike because couples that maybe are used to spending a few hours a, a, a week together even, some couples are like that, very busy, they're now spending mm-hmm. much more time together, and maybe those little things like, hey, you went to McDonald's becomes a bigger issue, and they're finding themselves with problems in their marriage, in their relationship. I can see that, and I can see, um, I, even in, even in, on my practice, like, the people fighting and the conflict in the relationship have increased because people are stuck together. They, they are not, there's no space to avoid it because you are there, or you, you are present. So they need to remember why we haven't discussed a, uh, a topic that we ought to discuss. So COVID, I would say, is making either relationship healthy in a way that we can avoid problems anymore, or it's going on the other side that people are becoming uh, bored and and picking on each other and picking little things on each other. And it is not helpful for the relationship. So reminding ourselves, I think people, everybody in the relationship, reminding yourself, am I doing this because I'm bored? Am I, is this really healthy for a relationship? Do I want to start this fight? So it, it does, it's really important. Oh, am I fighting because I really need some freedom? I need to go see my friends. I need to go for a walk. I need to get away from home. It doesn't mean I'm abandoning my family. It just means that I need to take care of myself so that I can really be present for the, for the relationship. And what about the pandemic, the virus itself, COVID-19? Uh, is that causing fights in homes? And I'm going to talk a little more in a bit about masks. And some people feel really strongly about you don't need to wear a mask. Other people feel really strongly about the fact that you do need to wear a mask. And then, you know, COVID itself is causing arguments in relationships and families, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and again, it's different, um, especially because it is life-threatening. And I can see where some couples have even children. So if one person is not taking care of themselves or they're not using masks and the other person can feel very unsafe, so it becomes, again, can I hear where you're coming from? Can we have a civil discussion? Can I can I be able to explain myself and also meet you halfway? Maybe I won't wear a mask everywhere when I'm walking on the street and there's no people, but if I'm in a crowded place, I'll be able to do that. So meeting halfway but also hearing the other person where they're coming from, it, it may help be able to have that dialogue of should we wear a mask Should we wear, or should we not? And you want your partner to feel understood. At the, at the end of the day, you want your partner to feel understood. You want to be safe. You want your partner to feel that you care, you matter, uh, that they, you care about them, and their health matters to you. That's all we really want, right? Whether it's a business relationship or a romantic relationship, a marriage, a friendship, whatever it is, all we really want is to be heard, right? We don't even need to win every battle, but we need to feel like we're being heard. It is so true. And I was actually having a discussion with someone else. Most of the time when you hear your partner, what tends to happen, even in the session when I'm, when I'm helping couples, the other person starts hearing you. So if you want to be understood, you have to seek to understand as well. And it, it happens, it shifts so quickly in the session when one person 
uh, decide to hear the other person, they choose to to hear them as well. So yes, at the bottom line, we want to be understood, and then when we're understood, we're able to negotiate. We're able to to have that healthy dialogue with each other. Susan, thanks a lot for this. And if you're craving a Big Mac, please call me, okay? Susan Wenzel, (laughs) thank you very much. Relationship expert and certified sex therapist. Her website is susanwenzel.ca. S U N S U S A. Boy, I gotta gotta learn how to spell again. I've been off for two weeks. S U S A N W E N Z E L dot C A. Phase four of the reopening of Manitoba, the restoration of uh, safe services uh, came on Saturday, phase four, and part of phase four was the reopening of casinos. Now, I don't believe the casinos in the city are open yet. They will open up uh, Wednesday, I believe. Uh, Stephanie Thiessen is the director of marketing at South Beach Casino, and she joins us now. Stephanie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. So we're obviously curious about movie theaters, and we're going to talk a bit about that today. How was it at South Beach? Uh, how It was so exciting. We opened our doors on, on Saturday, and it couldn't have gone better. I'm so proud of the team at South Beach and how they handled everything. It was so great to see our customers and see all of our employees back in action. 30% capacity, correct? You got that, Hal. 30% capacity throughout the entire facility. And how did that look? Explain uh, how you're doing that. So how from the moment we closed our doors, geez, going back to March, our team jumped into action. We were reviewing all of the possible plans for how we could safely and effectively return and open our doors. So right away, we looked at our floor layout. We completely revamped our machines to make sure we had at least six feet of distancing between all of the machines and for the employees in our lineup. So uh, right now, we're operating at just over 460 machines to keep that safe. 460 is a third of your machines. You got that, Hal. Yep. So we revamped them, the entire layout, and we also expanded our gaming area into one of our banquet rooms to really effectively manage that. And is it just the VLTs, just the, or are there table games as well, or, or what is in operation there and what's not? Yeah, so how we definitely uh, wanted to remove our table games to to assure we had that six feet of distancing, and our machines are all up in action with the 460. So we removed some machines and reallocated them. And I'm curious to know the crowd. So 460 machines, was there a lineup during the day, people wanting to get in, or were you below capacity? You know, we had a couple lineups at time, Hal, and they moved quite quickly. Our team did a really great job at mitigating that lineup and making sure everyone in line was appropriately distanced apart and made sure we handed out some waters as well. It was a pretty hot day on Saturday. Yeah, no kidding. So I guess it's safe to say then that there was a bit of a pent-up demand, which I think we've seen as as other things get back at it too, uh, you know, as things have lo- these restrictions have loosened. We've seen a bit of a pent-up demand, and you certainly saw that at South Beach. You, yeah, we did, Hal. You know, we saw our regular faces as well, which was so exciting for us to see those customers. We missed them. And we also saw new faces. 
And then, uh, so we'll say I come in and I sit down at a machine. I'm I'm safely distanced from other players. I play for a while. I get up and I walk away to another machine that's vacant. Has that new machine been wiped down? And then is somebody coming in after I leave my machine to wipe it down for the next person? Yes, Hal. Actually, so as soon as you walk into our facility, uh, it's optional for guests that to wear a mask, and it's provided by the casino at this time. We've implemented numerous new sanitization centers throughout the entire facility, and we have fully trained some of our team members to become our safety ambassadors. So our safety ambassadors, you can see them in our bright red tops going around the facility, and they are consistently uh, disinfecting all the machines after use. On top of that, if a customer would like to, you know, flag down one of our safety ambassadors or team members, we're very happy to do so and go over and clean that machine for them again. Did you give any thought to making masks mandatory? Because, you know, we're, we're the mask situation is a, a, a hotly debated topic. You know what, Hal? We're taking everything day by day and, you know, working with the province and the regulations that they are putting out. We have made it mandatory for our employees. On top of that, we've um, put plexiglass between our, our, on all of our counters throughout the facility. So with the guests, if they feel comfortable, the mask is offered to them. If they do not want to wear a mask at this time, it is optional. And the province originally in phase four proposed half capacity. Manitoban said, whoa, wait a second. They came back and said, okay, 30% or a third capacity. Uh, how does that, is that enough for you? Uh, I mean, I understand you're excited to be back at it, and I'm sure, you know, your customers, your loyal customers and new, t- new customers are, are glad to be able to come in there and, and, and play their favorite games. But is it, is, it, is it enough? Are you finding it difficult to, to make, is it worth the investment, I guess, is, is my question. Yeah, you know how, again, we are taking this day by day. So with that change to 30%, we have been following all the regulations vigorously as a team, and we were prepared to jump and do what was needed with that change. And at that 30% level, it's very important how South Beach Casino is a First Nations casino. This is just such a wonderful celebration for all of our employees and communities to be able to reopen our doors at that capacity. So it's working for us right now, Hal. And again, we'll take it day by day. Stephanie, thanks for this and all the best. Thanks, Hal, and congratulations on your new headquarters there at CJLB. Yeah, thank you very much. You're going to have to come check it out when we can do that. Will do, Hal. You take care. Phase four is now underway. Started on Saturday. John Graham is with the Retail Council of Canada. He's the Prairie Director, and he joins us on the phone here now. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Hal. Thanks a lot for doing this. So, uh, first of all, before we get to property crime, phase four, um, I mean, that affects some of uh, of your members. Yeah, it sure does. And uh, uh, certainly a you know, continued improvement, but, uh, you know, good balance of uh, ensuring that we retain the confidence of Manitobans uh, by not getting too far ahead with the reopenings and also actually business people who are equally concerned that we you know continue to keep the numbers low in manitoba versus some of the other provinces where uh, a number of our members operate that is quite concerning 
You know, we uh, we talked with South Beach Casino. They seem happy at 30%. We're going to talk movies. They're at 30%. Uh, the province was sort of saying 50, and then Manitoban spoke out, and so it's gone back to 30. Just generally speaking, um, it has to be difficult, though, at 30%. I realize, and, and I think during the pandemic, there are extra costs involved, and and so I yeah. I wonder, you know, yeah. obviously these these members of yours and these businesses that are thirty percent are you know fingers crossed, hoping to be uh, opening up wider than that quickly, right? I think you really have to start somewhere. Uh, you know, some businesses uh, opted not to open when uh, there was greater restrictions on occupancy, uh, but you start somewhere. But it would be difficult to sustain a business long term. Uh, under the current restrictions, and frankly, ultimately, the costs associated uh, with the health protocols. It's uh, a lot of retail is, uh, you know, thin margins, and this erodes it, and ultimately, uh, we have to make sure that these guys last uh, the long haul. And so you're right, the costs associated with operating under today's environment and also uh, the health protocol restrictions is uh, challenging. Let's talk crime for a second here. A police yeah. chief, Danny Smythe, came out with the 2019 crime report on Friday, the new crime stats. And while there's been some progress on the drug crimes, uh, overall crimes are up about 10%, property crimes up 15%, and those are the ones that tend to affect your members, you at the Retail Council of Canada. Those are the broken windows, the breaking enters, the thefts, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, March and April, frankly, as much as uh, COVID brought a dark cloud over our community, uh, it was a, a welcome reprieve from all of the theft and assault and disruption that uh, has occurred in retail over the past couple of years. And uh, I, I think what's important to think about with, with that report that came out was that those are the reported crimes. There's a lot of crime that's occurring in retail stores that just goes unreported simply because, and no fault of anyone, but it's low response times. Or, you know, certainly in today's uh, era, you just don't want to be detaining someone in your store for hours uh, that you just don't know their, their current history and health history, I should say. Well, and we're talking about that today too, response time to 911. And, and you're right. Many times the, the, the calls aren't even made even to report a crime like that because you go, well, it's a window. Uh, maybe they got a bit of product, a couple hundred dollars in product. The window's 150 bucks. I'm just going to fix it and, and move on, right? Yeah, the chances that it may ultimately lead to charges and a conviction are low for certain types of crime. So those that are more violent, um, are the ones that tend to get reported uh, to the police. And so those numbers aren't, many numbers aren't captured. I think, though, there's some really encouraging signs in that uh, uh, we are starting to work as a collective uh, retail loss prevention, um, justice, prosecutions, RCMP, Winnipeg Police Service, and really a coordinated effort to go after, in particular, organized retail crime, those more violent, prolific offenders. And those are the ones we're most concerned about. What are your members doing? What are you doing on that front? What, what's, the, what's the plan to try and deal with property crime? Yeah, well, there's uh, certainly education with, when it comes to small and mid-sized businesses. It's making sure that some of the best practices that are in place in larger businesses uh, are incorporated there. Uh, working on improved data collection and coordinated, coordination of data to help uh, build the cases for prosecutors. Uh, we're building stronger relationships with the Winnipeg uh, Police Service and RCMP across the province 
there's definitely more to come, uh, definitely more that needs to be done. Uh, but uh, certainly we reached a, a breaking point. It's very costly, but more importantly, when it comes to safety in our stores for our employees, our customers, we really want to get the, the, the worst offenders, those really violent ones that are prolific and organized uh, off the streets and, um, and create safer environments for retail. And, you know, John, maybe it's because I'm, I'm talking about these robberies, this crime every day. Maybe that's part of it. But I have beefed up my security here at home. I've got cameras now. I beefed up my alarm. Is that the kind of thing that your members are doing too? Are they looking at investing in cameras and better alarms and things like that as a preventative measure? Yeah, a number of things. It's um, different looking at entranceways and determining how you can slow the entrance and exit without it impeding the welcoming environment you want to create in the brick-and-mortar retail store for for honest uh, uh, customers. But it's uh, maybe limiting the amount of products you put on display, displaying empty boxes with inventory in the back room. It's uh, technology, certainly like cameras and uh, and chips that uh, uh, just go off when you're going through a scanner. It's um, uh, lower-profile displays in stores so staff can can uh, view all customers who may be in there. You know, there's lots of different things that are being done that I think are are steps forward uh, for sure. But uh, for organized retail crime, in particular, those ones that are trying to make a living out of this thing, unfortunately, uh, those are the ones we're most concerned about because they're less, uh, they tend to ignore some of the protocols that uh, retailers are putting in place. And John, final question, back to COVID for a second. You know, six new cases today, 16 since Friday. We were down to, I believe at one point, one active case. We're now up to yeah. 74. We've seen more uh, cases and, and things are loosening up out there. Any worry, any concern at the retail council or, or by your members that we may have to roll things back at some point? Yeah, certainly that's, uh, we'll stand behind whatever decisions are made by Dr. Roos and, and, and the, the long-term health of our community is the most important thing. Uh, but uh, we are worried that people will get complacent and start to uh, be less respectful of physical distancing or, uh, or mask rules that may put in, be put in place, in particular retailers or ultimately across the province. And we're, we're seeing this in some other jurisdictions like Alberta, where got to a point where people are really complacent and it's showing in the numbers now. We really uh, I do worry about that, but ultimately we'll, we'll take the lead from Dr. Roosan and those that are experts in this area. John, thanks a lot for this. My pleasure, Hal. Thanks. Joining us right now, political scientist and columnist Shannon Samper. Shannon, good afternoon. Hello, Hal. How's it going? Excellent. Thank you so much for doing this. Wow. Uh, well, I was away. <laughs> the whole We Charity scam, I guess it was starting to, uh, details were starting to trickle out before I uh, took a couple of weeks off. But what a mess this is. And we find out today that the Prime Minister and his Chief of Staff will testify before the Finance uh, Committee on Thursday. First of all, are, are you surprised that he's agreed to testify? I think it's another example of uh, the fact that uh, Mr. Trudeau wants to be seen as being transparent and open about the scandal. And so he's willing to, to uh, say what he needs to say to the Finance Committee. And, and they are attempting, I think, to, uh, to be as open and transparent as possible and, and explain why they, they did what they did. But heads should roll here, right? I mean, I, it may, you know, maybe it shouldn't bring the government down, but, but people should lose their jobs here if what we're hearing is true. 
I think the thing is, is that it once again, it proves that the Liberal Party really is quite insular in terms of uh, paying uh, sort of uh, uh, favors within its within its own within its own private sort of elite circles. And certainly uh, it also proves that Mr. Trudeau has not learned lessons from his last two scandals. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, elite uh, goings on here that continues with this party. And it suggests that they just haven't learned that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, there's also a little bit of leeway that I think we have to hand to the Liberals in the fact that Mr. Trudeau was trying to get a major program up quickly during a time of COVID. And he thought, I think, at this point that he wanted to get it done with an organization that he trusted and he knew could handle it very, very quickly. It was not something that he could uh, that they could get done by going through a huge amount of bureaucratic scrambling. And I think he thought that we was an organization that could do it because he trusted them. But the bottom line is it still looks like insider trading, uh, you know, a bunch of elites uh, patting each other on the back, and it's not a good look. But the bottom line is, should it mean that we lose government? Well, we don't even have a progressive conservative uh, leader in place. The PCs, as much as they want to saber rattle, are not ready to go into an election. So this allows them to create a scandal, but they don't want government to fall. We don't want to go into an election. Uh, I think what it means is that Prime Minister Trudeau is vulnerable for a leadership call, but I don't think it means an election. Okay, interesting. So you think he might face a challenge from within the party? Well, I think within the party, people are starting to get a little sick of it. And certainly there's opportunities for him to start looking at potentially uh, there are people within the party that are going to look at ways potentially to say maybe it is time for you to think about stepping down uh, before the next election. Hmm. And and that would kind of make sense politically, right, Shannon? Because if the, we know the Tories are going to have a new leader, and if the Tories come in with a strong leader who does well initially, it could really be bad for the Liberals. So maybe now would be a good time to put a fresh face in there and say we've learned from our mistakes and, you know, we're going forward and, and Justin Trudeau is gone. And, you know, politically that might be a good gamble. Well, also, we saw the numbers today. The Liberal Party's uh, brand is not doing as badly as his brand is in terms of uh, uh, ratings. So it seems that his name is not doing as well in the ratings, but the party is doing okay. So, it, yes, it seems to me that it might be a good time for him to step down after, after the, uh, before the next election and certainly once the Conservatives get their new leader in place. And you know what I wonder, uh, Shannon, you mentioned this is sort of the third strike, you know. Um, I wonder how many other things are going to bubble up to the surface before uh, there is an election or, or a change in, in leadership or, or a change in government. You have to think if, you know, one and then two, now three, how much more is out there that we don't know about? Well, you also have to think about why his inner, inner circle has not learned the first lesson the first time. And who in the inner circle will have to pay for this? I mean, there is a really clear uh, delineation between politics, 
and administration and uh, someone in his inner circle should be paying better attention in terms of giving him advice. And, uh, and you know, there, there should be, uh, like the last time around, we did see his inner circle shift. And certainly this time around, we're going to see some names uh, suddenly uh, losing their job. We saw Gerald Butt step down. I'm wondering if Katie Telford may be the next person to go. We're going to, um, so we'll find out where Prime Minister is going to testify at the Finance Committee on, on Thursday, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. I wanted to talk to you about the We Charity scandal, but while I think of it here, let me just ask you a quick one about provincial politics. You know, <laughs> the province came out, said, here's what Phase 4 is going to look like. 50,000 Manitobans weighed in, and, and many of them, most of them, I guess, said, whoa, wait a sec. And it's just, politics is interesting during this pandemic, you know. Um, I, I thought about, I, it's almost like they've licked their finger and stuck the finger in the air, and whatever the way the wind blows, they do that. And, and that's cool. I, I think it's right to hear from Manitobans and Winnipeggers on, on something like this. But it's sort of a change in the way politics is, is, is governing is happening, isn't it? Well, it's frustrating because Mr. Pallister uh, really uh, needs to get uh, uh, something in place that suggests that he's doing more than just listening to uh, to opinion. Uh, frankly, the whole pandemic has been handled so poorly by the Pallister government. You know, they, they rolled out the first phase and no one knew what was going on. No one was told what was going on. No one had any idea what was going on. I mean, there was such little communication. And this is so typical of the conservatives the lack of communication between the government and the people that they are governing, it is laughable. And on this fourth phase, you only had to look at the numbers going on in Alberta and Saskatchewan to figure out that Manitobans did not want to see a resurgence in COVID numbers and the fear that people had that that was going to occur. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. We had some nice numbers for what was it, 13 days, and all it took was a couple of people coming back from Alberta from a funeral to drive our numbers up for a bunch of days in, in a series and people to say, listen, we do not want to start seeing numbers like what we saw in Alberta. And worst of all, we do not want to see what's happening in Ontario and Quebec. Let's stop thinking about the economy and start thinking about the health of our, of our people and stop thinking that we have to all of a sudden rush get the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the things open again. I mean, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Pallister is very bad about communicating, very bad about talking about plans. And, uh, and I, think, I think he got a very resounding response when we said, we're not ready for this, back off. All right, Chan Sampert, thank you very much. Appreciate this. Talk to you soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.